Hello again, my fellow nerds. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to another episode of the Nerds Who Live podcast. So today we are kicking off season three of the Nerds Who Lift. That's right, season three. Uh, for those who don't know, I do my show in ten episode blocks or ten episode seasons. Why? Just because it seemed like a good idea, and it uh, was a way for me to kind of format everything. So yeah, we're on season three of the Nerds Who Live podcast, and that's something that's really awesome for me. And I've really enjoyed every single one that I've talked to. So thank you to all of my guests who have ever taken the time to come on and speak with me. Uh, It's really meant a lot to me. And for those who have reached out and who enjoy the show and who keep listening, and I hope we can just keep it going. One thing I do want to say, though, it was brought to my attention as a constructive criticism that I talk too much on my end. And I don't leave enough time for the guest who I'm interviewing to really talk more, I get excited, I talk over people, and uh, sometimes uh, that does happen. I know that's true. It's something I've always struggled with, uh, even in real life. And of course, I care about this podcast, about you as the listeners, the content you're getting, and about my guests, because that's who I asked to come on. And I want them to share their experience and their life with us. And uh, of course, don't want to be disrespecting those who I value and respect as well as their time, uh, their knowledge, their energy, and their experience. So, in effort to improve on this, I'm going to make a very conscious, intentional effort to become a much better host and interviewer. And I will try to always be aware and cognizant of my speech patterns and, of course, my guest time, so that way you guys can hear who you want to hear, who you're there for, who you're here for, which is all these awesome athletes, fellow nerds, people, what they have to say and what you can learn from them. So that is my solemn pledge to you as I move on into season three and continue this show henceforth. All right, off the serious note, today I'm really excited because one of my podcast inspirations, the one, the only, Tony Montgomery Jr. of the Beyond the Platform podcast is going to be joining me. I gotta tell you, I'm excited. Tony's podcast is one of my favorites. It's one of the ones that really got me to really want to start a podcast right along with the Ritual podcast and, uh, you know, right along with Two White Lights. So shout out Two White Lights, Ritual, and the Beyond the Platform podcast. Those three podcasts on your list, they should be. So it's awesome that Tony's agreed to come on. I can't wait to pick his brain learn more about him as a person and a lifter and a coach and hopefully see what valuable stuff he has to teach you guys. So without further ado, let's get Mr. Tony Montgomery on. Hello. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Tony. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. I, uh, I actually spent all day uh, moving into a new place, which is why I don't have Wi-Fi <laughs> right now. Yeah, that's 
fun, right? Yeah, it is. Moving is always a pain in the ass, but got to get it done. Uh, pretty much 90, 95% done. So made good progress. Oh, that's good, man. Yes, sir. How are you? Doing good. Can't complain. Just uh, just got done with the gym not too long ago, and then uh, hanging out at the house doing some work. or doing some programs. The, the usual stuff. You, school starts. My semester starts uh, on Monday, so just trying to get everything organized before school starts. Nice. Uh, what are you What are you taking for school? I'm working on my master's for uh, exercise science. I'm eventually going to get my PhD. Um, I'll be moving to Tampa, Florida next year to uh, to work on all that stuff. So that's kind of the, the process I'm in right now. Dude, I feel like some of the best lifters right now in the country are just all moving to Tampa. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah, a, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but you know, I know that the, the college down there, University of South Florida, uh, they have a really good um, exercise science program, Professor Campbell is uh, doing some great research. He actually, they focus on um, physique enhancement and powerlifting as their two main sources of, of research. So I think there's not many colleges that do that. So that would be a lot of fun. That is really fascinating. I'd be really curious to kind of keep in touch with you while you do that to kind of hear about, you know, what that experience is like. Cause that sounds really cool, honestly. Yeah, no, of course, man, definitely. Like, uh, Professor Campbell is doing a lot of cool research. He just did some stuff on um, diet breaks, and he, he did some stuff on uh, TA receipts. So he's doing a lot of the, the research that she's doing now, and like mass and, and all these uh, social media influencers that are kind of referencing is the, is the research she's doing when it comes to a lot of that stuff. So uh, it's really cool. And then the, the muscle hypertrophy guy, he's doing a lot of stuff with, um, he came from Jeremy Lennox's lab, which is really focused on uh, blood flow restriction. So he's still carrying that on. Uh, he's doing some new fit stuff. So, he, you know, they have a hypertrophy place. They have a nutrition one. So it'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Well, I want to thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, it's been really cool for me for you to come because uh, I cited you as kind of one of my inspirations to start my own show along with the Two White Lights guys and the Ritual podcast. I've really enjoyed you know, all 70-some episodes of your show. And uh, I've learned a lot from it. So thanks for doing it and kind of putting it out there and as well kind of, you know, helping me kickstart my own, honestly. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, man. And, uh, and you're welcome. You know, it's something that I wanted to do and I've been fortunate enough to, like, know a good amount of people and have some good resources to get a good guests on. So, and I always found it, you know, like you want to talk to someone people love talking about themselves so you can get a hold of people that you normally don't get a hold of just because they like to hear their own voice so that's really cool you know getting to talk to people that normally be outside of your, your scope or reach uh when you're doing podcasts and learning from them um and it's it's really cool because a lot of the people i've interviewed i've actually met face to face um because of the podcast you know if it wasn't for the podcast i wouldn't have known these people or they wouldn't have you know, uh, me reaching out to them would have been like, what is this weirdo doing? We just did a podcast together. Like, oh, yeah, you know, come on down. Uh, you know, because when I was in Tampa not too long ago, that's where I met Professor Campbell. I met Dr. Scott Stevenson, um, Jordan Shallow, which I've known Jordan for a while, and Ben Bukowski, and that's all through the podcast and Danny Vega. So I got to meet all those guys in person just because of the podcast. So, you know, it's it's been fun to do. I started it kind of selfishly for myself but it's awesome to hear that 
it's helped so many people, you know. Of course, and I am 100% guilty of wanting to start it for myself too because, I mean, in that very way of, you know, watching how, you know, how you got to talk to so many people and pick their brain and, of course, share that with everyone else, but I, I definitely selfishly wanted to do <laughs> to, uh, to do that and leverage a way to make more friends within the lifting community and, you know, pick their brain and how they came up. And uh, I've always, you know, that's one of my favorite things to ask when I meet a new lifter or a coach is, you know, how they came up um, and yeah. how they started as well as I feel a lot of times people ask about an origin story, but they never really ask about the intermediate, you know, the intermediate section to, you know, in between the origin and where they are now. And that's always fascinated yeah. me. So I felt, hey, I'll make a show kind of around that and, you know, hopefully people can can learn from it. No, that's awesome, man. Especially because, like, you're not the only one that's thought of this, right? But you're one of the few people that, like, you know, pull, pull the trigger on it. So many people get so scared to, to do stuff outside of their comfort zone, especially like a podcast, right? Because there's so many people that are like, oh, your podcast sucks. And you're like, well, that sucks to hear, but okay, you know? But <laughs> the fact that you, you, you know, you had the, the balls to do it says a lot about not human, like, you know, your determination and, and your willingness to put yourself out there, which is, is really cool to see, man. I appreciate that. I'm really trying and, you know, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm nobody like in the sport. I feel like a lot of people will start a podcast kind of after they established who they are, like a brand or whatever. And I'm just kind of some, you know, some nerdy kid from, you know, Ventura, California. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I had the, the means to do it and, um, I lost a bet. Uh, I, I, I bet I came up with the name of the podcast and someone was like, oh, that's clever. I was like, I'm sure someone's already taken it. They're like, well, probably not. And if they if they haven't, you should do it. So I was like, well, I'll find out. So I, like, I researched and uh, lo and behold, no one had it. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, kind of like I said, I like to hear about obviously how people came up, how they started, but also what got them you know, kind of that, that middle, their, their montage sequence, so to speak. And so I would love to hear, you know, hear that from you, how you got into lifting. Um, I know you also do strongman if I'm, if I remember correctly. Um, and then what also, what was that in between that went, you know, from when you started to that really turned a quarter to really kind of get you passionate and get you to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I do do strongman. I used to be more competitive at it. Just the past weekend, I did a show uh, just for fun. Um, but yeah, I, I started lifting um, in high school for sports. I was playing football, and uh, I just wanted to be better at, at football. I was one of those kids that didn't really have the greatest genetics, but I, I enjoyed working hard. And uh, something my dad always taught me when I was when I was younger. Every summer, I I go out to work with him. Uh, he did some pretty grueling manual labor stuff and uh, it, you know it, it taught me what hard work was and I knew if I wanted to get better at, at sports I needed to lift weights and what we had at, um, at my school wasn't really cutting it so you know I tried to read about stuff and, and do some research and try to figure out what's the best plan of attack and um, I came across uh, what, what kind of like piqued my passion for, for lifting um, was I came across Bill Romanowski's uh, autobiography. I don't know if you're familiar with who Bill Romanowski is. Do you know who he is? 
I can't say that I'm familiar with his name right off the bat. Uh, who who is he, or or where what? That's a bit of a disappointment, but we'll look past that. I'm I'm, so, I'm uh, sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm usually pretty good with lifting history, but I I couldn't place he's that name a, right he's away. He's not a lifter, so that's probably why. Okay, so that so that he's, um, he uh, he played linebacker in the NFL. He played for the um, 49ers when Joe Montana was there, and uh, played for the Oakland Raiders when they won a Super Bowl. And he wrote a book. And I, I don't know if I'm, the name of it was like something about like uh, playing against dragons and, and demons inside. And he talked a lot about his training and his supplements and, and all this stuff. And it was super fascinating. And he was one of my favorite football players. So obviously I, I wanted to get into the lifting. And so I started lifting and getting really into that. And uh, once football was over in high school, uh, I didn't really have much direction of like where to go. So I was like, you know, I still enjoy the physical fitness aspect of things. Um, 9-11 happened a couple of years prior. So, you know, there was, there was something pulling me towards, you know, joining the military and, and doing that stuff. So I joined uh, the Marines and I served in the Marines for four years, um, which was a lot of fun. I got to meet some friends that I still talk to. Um, but, you know, the, the physical side of things was still there. Uh, we did a lot of cross training. Um, I was with, uh, second recon, which is a special forces unit. So they did a lot of, uh, swimming and, and running and a lot of that stuff. Um, I got really good at it, but it still was never like my passion. Um, I still wanted to be strong. I still wanted to be big. And, uh, I was thinking about like what I was going to do after the military. And when I was overseas, um, I was thinking about like what I wanted to do and I just wanted to play either college football or, or rugby when I got out. So I started looking up like sports performance articles and starting to read about that. And I came across Joe DeFranco and, uh, if you're familiar with him, he's one of the, the best, the, well, the most well-known, well-respected coaches independently for, uh, for athletes. Um, he used to be part of elite FPS and I came across a couple of his articles and read them loved the way he did it. He did a lot of conjugate training for athletes, um, which is super appealing for a young kid to like go in there and use chains and bands and maxing out and box jumps and all that stuff. So that's kind of where I found Elite FTS and, and Joe DeFranco and started really getting into uh, the strength and conditioning side of things, specifically with athletes. I didn't even know much about powerlifting um, then either. It was just mostly trying to be athletic and, and I wanted to train athletes and you know, that's the direction I wanted to go. And I got out, uh, played rugby for a little bit. Um, had too many, when I was, when I was in Iraq, uh, there was an IED that went off and that caused me to have some, um, vertigo and some, some, um, stuff that went on inside my head as far as like damage goes. Um, so when I got out, I realized I couldn't play like physical contact sports anymore. It was a little bit too dangerous, uh, found that out like after playing a couple of games of rugby I was like oh, I don't feel too good I went to the doctor and they're like yeah you should probably stop playing uh, contact sports I was like oh okay that's oh that's 21 years old I, I want to I want to live a, a long life uh, so you know what else can I do to be competitive and uh, I found strongman and so I, I started doing strongman I went to school at Florida Atlantic University right as soon as I got out the military and uh had like a garage gym and just started building up with elite FCS equipment did some strongman training and did my first show uh, like six months out of the military and 
fell in love with strongman and did that for four years. Uh, did a pro am, uh, got third place. So almost won my pro card. I got beat by two pros at the, uh, who turned pros. So I was, you know, I was happy with the with the effort and performance I put into strongman. But um, at that point in time, I wanted to like focus on other stuff. I had a gym uh, down in Florida, which was really going really well. Uh, but I wanted to move and, and explore the world a little bit, the country, not the world, the country. And uh, so I sold the gym and started traveling. And throughout that time, um, I was doing a bunch of other stuff. I did some endurance races. I did a half marathon, did some CrossFit, and uh, still always came back to like wanted to be strong and, and lift a bunch of weight. And that's when I started finding powerlifting. That was about six years ago. Uh, so six years ago, I started working with Brian Carroll of uh, 1020 Life, a uh, super nice guy, good lifter, one of the best good lifters in the world to ever do it. And uh, he's kind of introduced me to like proper programming for, for powerlifting and stuff. And um, worked with him for my first meet. Uh, then after that, just kind of did my own thing. Got connected with uh, with Dan Green, uh, moved to California, trained at Boss Barbell Club for about a year to a year and a half. Then met with uh, met Jeff Spurdick, uh, who's a really good friend of mine, and moved up there, started training with him and his crew. And um, then about three years ago, decided to move to Portland, uh, trained with Chris Duffin for about a year. And uh, Sean Doyle, who's my training partner still to this day, opened up a gym out here. And, you know, that's kind of where the story ends right now. Powerlifting for the last six years and... Um, so I enjoy doing do it. I don't. I don't think I enjoy it as much as like I would if I was an athlete. Still, um, I did MMA for a couple of years. I really loved that, but I just you know I couldn't do the athletic stuff anymore, especially if you're involved getting hit in the head. Um, that's where my passion lies, and for myself. But I'm super competitive, and I gotta have an outlet to to be competitive. And the community of powerlifting was, was amazing, and. It's allowed me to outlet not only for lifting, but for, you know, transitioning out of the military into a different community that's um, that's not equally as good, but it's good enough to, to get me through. And that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, and it, I think you touched on a good point that I, I feel that uh, powerlifting really does, I think, attract people who either kind of looking for another community to, to kind of to, to connect with as well as um, competitive outlet. Um, I also come from a martial arts background and uh, that was kind of my thing is I, I didn't want to keep getting hit in the head all the time. And right. it, and it, it's, sucks, man. it does. It sucks. Like I love it. Like I love sparring. I love boxing. I love full contact. Um, and you know, martial arts was my first love, but <laughs> I wasn't that good at it, and I didn't like blocking with my face, so you know that hurts. But the you know lifting, you know especially you know heavier lifting uh, with power lifting and strongman, I feel like those heavy implements and that type of challenge is very similar to that of being like in a you know a, a competitive ring with another opponent. You know, it's like the weight will crush you if you don't respect it. In the same way, you know, the your opponent will hit you in the face if you don't respect him. And I, and I liked, yeah, I liked no, that similarity. Yeah. Lot. I mean, the, the challenge is everything, right? Like I learned that 
military. You know, they, they teach you all this stuff about discipline and, you know, facing adversity and being able to overcome it. And there's a lot of obstacles and challenges to, to get through four years of, of military life, especially if you're deployed overseas in a, in a wartime situation. Um, and, you know, once, once I left the military, there was a huge, a huge void and a huge gap of like direction of, of what I wanted. To, like I knew what I wanted to do as far as like a career, but there was this huge gap and void of like that brotherhood that I needed to feel, that camaraderie. And, uh, and once you, once you have that and then you lose it and you're just like thrust into the world, it's, uh, it's something that you seek. And I don't know if that's what's brought me into like these communities of like MMA and then strength, uh, strongman and then powerlifting, but I don't know if I could do things independently, uh, like I once used to because of the, the things that I've learned through the military and how successful you can be when you're surrounded by the right kind of people and how much harder life is when you try to do things on your own as an individual. So being able to find those communities that are super accepting and that teach you along the way, so that's, that's great mentors. Like I said, Dan Green, uh, Jesse Burdick, Chris Duffin, you know, those are the, some of the best lifters in our sport and they've gracious enough to give me their time and, and teach me everything that, that they knew, you know, so it's like, well, that kind of community is, is what I thrive in and it just makes life a lot easier, a lot better. Yeah, it's an enrichment, really, because like you said, it's someone, a mentor giving you their time and their experience that they've, you know, worked their own ass off for. And I feel like that's a really common thing in the lifting communities that people are really willing to share and really willing to, you know, as a lead FTS would say, you know, pass on. Um, and that's really cool. And it doesn't matter who you are. Like, if you want to learn and you want to lift, you know, seriously, you know, you go to any good powerlifting gym, someone there will help you. Yeah, that, definitely. And, and a lot of people don't get that, right? Because powerlifting has become more attainable, which is awesome. A lot of people start powerlifting, but they don't really realize, like, how much better it is, like, going to these gyms. You know, you still see people powerlifting at, like, 24-hour fitness when they live 15 minutes away from a powerlifting gym. And I don't know if it's because they're intimidated to go to a real gym or because they like just being on their own. But I see that a lot with the, the newer community of powerlifting. It's like, I don't think people fully understand how enriching and how given a lot of these gyms are. And, you know, that's one of the things, like, whenever I start my gym, is I want it to be a community that, you know, can foster some of the best lifters in the world, but also can help beginners feel confident and comfortable coming into a gym like that and know that there's people there that aren't going to be assholes to them that, you know, it's not just heavy metal and banging your head. It's like, hey, we're here to help you learn technique and we're here to teach you and pass things on to you so that you can feel confident being at a gym, you know, because that's why a lot of people come to the gym is to build that confidence and to the asshole that sits around and snarks at people and doesn't help anyone out. It really isn't, and I've never experienced that. Uh, you know that I think some people do have that weird stereotype, but I've never seen it. I've never, I've never had a meet, never at a gym, and I love going to to powerlifting gyms. Like I will drive hours because I feel like I get to meet really cool people, and then there's someone there who will lift with me, and I always end up learning something like that, and that's amazing. Yeah, 
I mean, it's different mentalities, right? Like, you see, you have a, I mean, obviously, you have your own podcast, so you're, you have a learning mentality, so you scout ways to learn. But there's, there's other people, man, that I've had to deal with um, that have been clients of mine or that I just ran into, and they've been to, like, four powerlifting gyms. They're like, yeah, I went to this gym, and, you know, the vibe didn't feel right. Some people looked at me weird. Then they go to this gym, and then you start to realize the common denominator is the person and not the gym. And I see, I don't know, for some reason, it's just the people that don't seek stuff out are the ones that always have a hard time going to these gyms. I think it must be like an ego thing that's stopping people from like fully embracing the community where they just kind of stick to, they have their headphones in, they don't talk to anyone, they're at these 24-hour gyms, they just do their own thing, and and that's it, you know, it's it's a real shame because I think that the community is what, what makes the sport so so much fun and so appealing to a lot of people. I agree because this sport's all about we always want to see everybody get stronger because 90% for you and my 90% are maybe different numbers on the paper or on the bar, but it's still 90%, 100%. And that is, and we all know what that's like. We've all, we're, so we're all in that same boat. We're all under the bar and you have that in common. And I think there is so much to be said for the community where they will accept you, you know, as you are, as long as you want to, you know, work hard and, and just be a part of it really. As long as if you want to, you know, invest in the community, everyone who else is in it is, is like awesome. You know, they'll invest in you right back. And not many other sports do that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's a lot harder for sure to to get into a lot of the other sports. I think, you know, I mean, even with powerlifting, there's a sense of like you got to kind of earn your stripes, which I, I get it, right? Like, you don't want to be that kid that goes into a powerlifting gym and just starts asking a million questions. Sometimes it's better to just kind of sit back, be quiet, and watch watch people work, and you learn from that than it is to go in there and just start like pestering out a bunch of questions and kind of earning their stripes, earning their respect, because that's one of the things that happens a lot is the lifters come in and they have these expectations of like, I'm going to come in and, you know, I'm going to immediately be this person's training partner. And it's like, man, I've had the same training partner for three years. You come into the gym and I don't know if you're going to keep coming to the gym. I don't know if it's worth my time to invest in someone, you know. So sometimes it's better just to go there, show up, be quiet, put in the work and just like absorb as much as you can without asking questions. Cause I think that that's one of the things that a lot of the newer lifters kind of miss is, is learning to just kind of sit back and, and watch and see what it takes and make sure that you're there, that you're committed to the time. That way they can put the time into you, you know, but I've been doing this for over a decade and all of a sudden you show up to the gym and you want to be my training partner, and you want all this free advice, and I don't even know if you're going to stick with it, you know? So it's not it's not necessarily, like, this a sense of entitlement that they have, but it's, it's a sense of, like, I'm here, so tell me everything. It's like, oh, man, you know, you got to pay your dues a little bit. I'm not going to be a dick to you, but you still have to pay your dues. I still got to know that you're serious about what you're doing in order for me to commit the, the time and, and the effort. And every gym that I've been to, that's what I've noticed with the best lifters is that they just kind of sit there, earn their dues, you know, help load, help unload a spot, and, uh, you know, and figure things out as they're going without anticipating that, that other people are going to give them everything that they need. 
Yeah, I think that's a solid point. And I think you you touched on a good also another good point that yeah, I think it is an entitlement. I also think that it's a it's a lack of a reference point, like a lack of a social reference. I think some people don't yeah. really know how to sit back. Like they don't know that if you show up, if you, you know, you're polite, um, and you, you know, you are quiet, you observe and you put in the work, but you know, with tact because you're observing uh, you know, you offer to help load the bar. Uh, you ask to work in if you need to, um, you know, or you ask for a spot. Like every, you know, that's always. I feel like that's one of the universal ways to make friends at at a gym, a serious gym. Is oh, your tra- course, yeah. is your training, and you be like, hey, can I get a spot, or can you check my depth? Like something really simple, and you make that connection, and uh, and you let time, like you said, time dictate, and you put in the time. And the more that people show, see with the actions, then that's when they start being willing to help because they see they see your your actions speak, you know that you're yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, shit, man. I I, will, I trained with Sean for four months at Kabuki before he said one word to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. All right, I'm just gonna keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and you know, like I said, three years down the road, we're still training partners. Uh, you know, we talk all the time and, you know, we have a good time, but if I was, you know, if I was like, oh man, this guy's a dickhead, then that relationship would have never manifested and I wouldn't have had a training partner, you know, but I guess it just depends on how, how you're brought up and, and how you see things, right? How these freaking things is like an opportunity to, to learn, um, and to, to grow where some people may see things as an opportunity to, uh, to get something, you know, immediately, like that immediate gratification where I personally enjoy the long-term process of it and knowing that, like, if I just put in the work and I do what I'm supposed to do, that things will things will manifest themselves over time due to my discipline and dedication. And that's what happens with, with relationships, with friendships, and, and life in general, right? Like, the people that want that instant gratification, it never lasts really long because they don't ever, things won't ever live up to your expectations for some reason that they have these, like, high expectations of of what, what they're going to get out of these relationships. And when you start to, to build that, you're going to be let down a lot because, you know, you can't set expectations for people that you've never met before. You can't. And I think that's something we all struggle with, at least maybe younger. I mean, I'm I mean, I mean, I'm not that much younger. I'm 29. I'm not really sure how old you are, but I guess I'm in the slightly younger bracket. Um, and I feel like that's a so again one of those lacking reference points or lacking social skills is if you didn't get brought up in sports or something you really had to work a you know work for uh, like mine was martial arts. Like you learn pretty early, like oh my discipline and me putting in time will result. It will manifest, and that will be worth it. And I think some people, some kids, and some adults these days, I don't think they've ever had that before. And so they're just addicted to the instant gratification, and they don't know that sitting back and listening or putting in the time without expectations and just kind of being present and giving your best will get you more results than trying to force something. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. Like People can't even be present with themselves because they're so distracted by, you know, technology and, and social media. You know, just imagine telling someone, yeah, you just got to sit by yourself for 30 minutes and just kind of think about things. People go crazy because they wouldn't know how to do that. You know, and I think 
think that's the mentality of people, the kind of people that have the issues with that instant gratification where, you know, when I was young, I'm 33, I'll be 34 this year. It was like go outside and, and play, play by yourself sometimes. You know, you have that imagination, that curiosity, that creativity, where now I think that gets a little bit lost with, with kids growing up because they don't have the opportunities to have their imagination or creativity because it's it's all given to them through video games, through social media and stuff. And then when they get older, they just think everything should just be there immediately. Like they don't have to work for it. You know, they don't have to be creative. They don't have to put in the time. It should all just be their instant access because that's the way it's been their whole life. And I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for, for a lot of people. Yeah, it will. And, and you know, and I... I've seen it with people. I mean, you can just see it again, just using the gym. I think a gym is a great micro ecosystem uh, for life, like for like socioeconomic norms and stuff. You know, the guy, the people who come in with instant gratification, uh, wanting to get strong just like within a a few months and, you know, or or like you said, pester without putting in time in its those are the same people who do it outside the gym and it, it really, it, it falls apart for them and they're very unhappy. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with like taking ownership of, of your life and, and your responsibilities and, and your decisions that you've made in life where it seems to be a hard thing for a lot of people, you know, to think that you're to blame for stuff inside your own head is, is really hard. People are so much more uh, willing to blame others for stuff where like if you just always blame yourself for everything that goes on in your life then you can take control of it and once you can take control of your life then things start to progress in the right direction and I think that you know to get it back to like lifting purposes is like you know if you have if you're a new lifter and you start to take ownership of your lifting instead of thinking about trying to always hire a coach all the time you know starting to learn things on your own then you should become more productive lifter then you can get back to a coach whenever you hire one because you know what you're talking about a little bit more you put the time in to learn your body to learn those type of things because you took ownership of it you don't just hire things out and just expect people to to do for you you know without you doing for yourself and i think that's an extremely important aspect of, of lifting and and, the, and of life it is it's extremely important and i i like kind of the mo- i think the motif we created is you know surround yourself with good people but also take ownership because if you can't sit alone for 30 minutes and take ownership of your mind how can you expect to go and and like you said earlier you know life is so much better and more enriching when you have a great tribe of people that you in brotherhood that you surround yourself with that support you but if you want to get those uh you you know you kind of have to have at least a a right direction with yourself, kind of have be right with yourself in a certain respect where, uh, yeah, you need to be able to sit alone for 30 minutes. Uh, if you want to have those good friends in the same way, if you want people to respect you at the gym, you got to be willing to go and put your work in alone. Um, and so they see that you're working and then they know that, okay, you're serious. Um, and it's funny how those two things kind of, it's like, it's almost counterintuitive. Like you got to be alone to have more people in your life, but, or, you know, or same with the gym, but that that ownership, like you said, I think is the, one of the most crucial and humbling things that a person can do for themselves. Yeah, and I mean it's important, right? Like you gotta you gotta know who you are, and the only way to know who you are is to spend time with yourself. And if you don't ever have a full grasp of who you are, then 
you're going to go through life not really fully understanding what you want out of it and what you get out of it. And more so you're thinking of what people can give you. Whereas like, you know, if you put all all the eggs in your own basket and you just believe in yourself, I mean, the sky's the limit, man. You can do so much if you just believe in yourself and know who you are and know what you want out of life. And like you said, with the, with the whole tribe thing, um, there's a good book by Sebastian Junger. Uh, it is called Tribe. And he talks about, uh, he went into these indigenous tribes and stuff and how much more engulfed they are with what's happening. They don't have things like depression. They don't have things like, you know, disease and sickness and stuff because they're living a more happy and fulfilled life. They're, they're definitely a third world country. They're in poverty, but because of that community and that tribe that they have, you know, he did the same thing. He's the best-selling author, but he lives in this very poor Dominican town in New York just because that community and that culture is more enriching to his life than living in some big-ass house with everyone else and never talking to people, you know? And, uh, and I think having that tribe and that culture of people around you that you can talk to all the time, that you enjoy their company, you know, I think that's extremely important. But in order to build the right tribe, you got to know who you are and what you want out of life. Because then if you start surrounding yourself with the, the wrong people who are just trying to get one over on you or manipulate you because you don't know really what you want out of life or who you are, then that's going to cause a lot of issues as well. And I mean, I talked to several people where they're like, yeah, you know, I'm in my 30s now or I'm in my late 20s and I've had to redo my whole life because I went down this path that I thought was the right path but I never really knew who I was. So now everything that I've done and known for the past eight years has just all been lies, and now I'm getting my life back together trying to figure this stuff out. And it's like, yeah, that's a, it's an extremely important part of, you know, figuring things out is figuring out who you are and, and what you want out of life. It is, and it's rough. And I think, you know, and it's always sad when that happens, but it's good if someone finally, you know, realizes it. And I think a lot of things... Oh, it's great. It is, yeah. It's great, but I think some people are always afraid to start over. Like it's like it's never too late. Like, is it a bummer that it took you that long? Sure, you can be a little sad about that for a little bit, but then you gotta get over that and be like, it's ne- like you can always change. You can always change your mind. You can always change your circumstance. Like once you once you realize, like shit, I'm unhappy. This isn't good. Fucking cut that shit out. Like <laughs> just yeah, <laughs> do people it. are scared of change, though, man. People are so fearful of change that they'll just stay with you know, a significant other that they don't like, you know, or they'll stay with a job that they hate, but it, it's comfortable because they it can pay the bills. You know, same thing with training, right? It's like, if you, you know, every time you hit a plateau, you quit, like, you're going to be fucking quitting everything for the rest of your life because there's no way progress is ever going to be linear. You know, you have to learn to be able to push through things and be able to figure things out on your own and be able to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and make those changes. You know, I, I mean, I've seen people just beating their heads against the wall because they're too scared to leave their current situation, even though it's the worst situation they can be in, because it's comfortable. They don't, the anticipation of, like, having to be on their own or having to pay, pay bills, you know, is something that scares people into never making these changes in their life. And it's like, yeah, you're going to struggle. Yeah, you're going to have a little bit of adversity. That's what life's all about, being able to overcome that adversity and being able to keep pushing forward and believing in yourself is what's going to make you happy. You know, who cares if you're 60 years old and you've lived a life that you hated the whole time, but you've made it, you paid your bills. Like, none of that shit's worth it, man. I'd rather struggle. 
struggle my whole life, but know that it's my life and not someone else's life that they picked for me. Yeah, because at that point, you're on your deathbed and you're looking at, you know, the all those things you could have done, but yeah, you played it safe and you didn't get anything out of it. Like you're basically waiting for death at that point. Yeah. And no one, and yeah, you, I can't play it safe in life, man. Yeah, you, you can't. And you, and I think the, you have to have balls to either take the risks to change or the balls to be persistent. Like, you know, and you know, to like bring it back to lifting, like how many people fucking program hop? Like they, it's like you try something. Time, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, Oh, I'm going to try this for a block you know, a six to eight week block, which is not a lot of time, you know, and, and maybe things don't click right away up. Oh, let me try something else. Let me, let me try, you know, you know, this, and it is, they hop around. It's like, you need to give that time to work. You need to let that build. Like all programs are good. <laughs> it's, you just need to be consistent. Yeah. But the, the biggest problem with that is right. Is like, as a coach, you point out someone's weakness. And like, all right, we're going to work on your weakness, you know? And then you start working on it, and they're like, oh, man, this doesn't feel good. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm regressing by doing this. Like, yeah, it's called a weakness for a reason, asshole. You're not <laughs> supposed to be strong at it. Like, we're going to work on this. They'll become strong. But immediately, as soon as you give them an exercise that they don't feel comfortable doing, that they feel weak doing, it's a new thing. They're like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do the things that I'm good at. But come on, you you got to do the things that you suck at, too, in order for you to get better, like, holistically as, a, as an athlete entirely. Right? You can't just do the things that you enjoy doing or the things that you feel good with doing because you're strong at it. you got to find those weaknesses and, and build those up. And, yeah, it's going to suck because you're going to lose, like, 100, 200 pounds on a lift because, you know, you have weak triceps or you have weak shoulders or, or you have weak glutes, you know. And it's like trying to find those weaknesses and just destroy them it's hard for a lot of people. Their ego gets in the way. They just want to keep doing what they're good at, what they're strong at. Yeah, you may get stronger that way too, but you're going to get broken as well because if your strengths start to overpower and overturn your weaknesses, then you have these huge imbalances. And then that's when these catastrophic injuries happen because you were too stubborn and you neglected all these extra things that you should have been doing. But because they didn't stroke ego, you just decided not to do them. Yeah, I I was talking with uh, my coach actually. Uh, I I uh, I coach with Scott Miller from Stronghouse, and he's a really a really good guy. And one of the things that we were talking about together was just that that too many people, especially in lifting sports and especially in powerlifting, they play too much to their strengths. They don't want to work on their weaknesses uh, because of their because of their ego because it's hard uh, because they feel like they took a few steps back because they don't see the holistic picture that if you work on that in the long run you will be more durable, more resistant, and you'll be able to you know fully you know use your body as a whole not just rely on your one or two really good strengths because eventually yeah like you said you're gonna that'll become an injury yeah and that's that's what happens a lot with these people that get so enamored with the competition list that they just keep them in there year round like yeah i want to improve those lifts but and i don't want to take a step back and do other lifts that are weak so if i can just keep improving my competition lifts like aren't i doing the right thing and like you're getting stronger yes but that's only going to take you so far you know, it's like um, if you're if you're a football player, right, and you're an offensive tackle, and you only work the left side, and you never work the right side. What happens when that pass rusher comes in on your right side? 
you have no fucking clue what to do because you've always neglected it. And that's the same thing with listening, right? If you're always neglecting the small things, that's when it's going to catch up to you and you're either going to get injured, you're going to plateau, you're going to have all kinds of issues, you know, that you're going to be struggling with for years and years because you've neglected it. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, let's find where you're weak at. Let's hammer that stuff. We won't neglect your strengths, but they're not our priority right now. Yeah, I had an old coach who used to say something very similar. He said the fastest way to improve as a whole is to take the slower route and work on the things that you suck at. Um, and and like you said, it's like it's like two steps back now is totally worth it. When as opposed to if you you know in the future you keep going this way, you'll end up taking five eight step back because you know you you tore yeah. a quad tendon or something or you tore your your right. bicep or you know whatever it is and yeah and as a, as a coach it's your job to communicate that to the athlete right like it's just if all of a sudden you give your athlete your program and it's all stuff that he sucks at you can he's gonna hate it and if the athlete hates the program then they're not gonna give it the effort they deserve so if you or if you communicate with the athlete like hey this box we're really gonna focus on or these next fucking blocks. We're really going to focus on your weaknesses. We'll still play to your strengths a little bit, but our main goal is building up these weaknesses. Yeah, they're going to feel awkward. Yeah, you're going to feel a little bit weak at it. But if we build that up, I guarantee you we'll add 50 pounds to your squat or something like that. Like, you have to be able to express that athlete, the long-term goal that you're trying to do. You can't just spring it on them. Like, hey, yeah, we're doing a whole bunch of new stuff that you suck at. That athlete's going to be like, well, I don't want to go to the gym and train. <laughs> you know, they still show up, but that effort's not there. And if the effort's not there, then what's the point of going to the gym, you know? Because like you said earlier, any program works. If you enjoy what you're doing and you train hard and you love it, you're going to make progress. If you get the best program in the world and you hate it, I guarantee you're not going to make progress. So as a coach, you have to be able to thoroughly explain that to your athletes. And I think a lot of coaches follow this approach of like, do it because I told you. I don't have to explain myself to you. In fact, I don't really think that that's the route to go either, right? Like the whole, you know, oh, do it because I did it and I got strong. You see that with a lot of the um, social media coaches that haven't actually, like, put in the time and effort to become a good coach. They're just a strong lifter. And then all of a sudden they just call themselves coaches. And then the programs are, like, exactly very similar to what they're currently doing. Like, wait, did you just give me the program that you're doing right now and just tell me it's for me? Like, that's Bullshit. Yeah, it is bullshit. And and what works for you may not work for for this person. Exactly. And 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 not only that, like you know, you know, or especially like I've even seen some you know like or lifting coaches, and they they you know they coach people, and they have a coach, and then their program is essentially what they get from their coach. Yeah, <laughs> like what the fuck is this? Yeah. We're not the same people, right? But, yeah, know, I mean, and to to play off of that too, like I think people think that they're overly unique as well, that they need this maximum specialized program for them. When, when in reality, right? Like you should be squatting, but two to three times a week if you're really strong. Once a week, you should be benching two to three times a week, and you should be pulling one to two times a week. You don't need like a fucking special uniform program where you know you're you're squatting you know five times this week because blah blah blah. It's like you know, you know you're not you're not as special as you think you are. Your program doesn't have to be so individually tailored to you that it, it should feel like 
every single thing, you know, is nuanced towards you because there should be a lot of similarities in good programs as well. And I think that that's important for a lot of lifters to realize too. It's like, yeah, you don't need, your coach shouldn't be so lazy to just give you what he's doing, but you can't expect, or you, you shouldn't expect to get something so customized that it took your coach 10 hours to do when you're paying them like 20 bucks an hour, if you think about it, right? Like, that's not, it's not going to happen either. You yeah. have realistic expectations and know that a good program is going to be a good program for every lifter. There's just going to be small nuances that take your situation, but it's not going to be the special uniform program because you think you're so unique and different. Yeah, you, yeah. No one's a snowflake. Like we're all individual, but we're but we're all but no one's a snowflake because if we're all individual and we're all unique, then then that's something we all have in common. So, <laughs> and, just, right yeah. at the end of the day, we're not we're not fucking doing complex things. We're not we're not coaching athletes who have to run and who have to do plyometrics and who have to do this type of lifting and that type of lifting. Right? We're not we're not coaching NFL players. We're not coaching rugby players. We're coaching powerlifters. They squat, bench, and deadlift. Like it's not the fucking most complicated thing in the world, right? Like it's not it's not rocket science that we're, that we're working on here. You know, you have to squat, you have to bench, you have to deadlift. You'll be that enough time, you'll be good. Yeah, and, you know, and where, where you're weak at, figure out where your balances are, work on those, you'll get good. Yeah, it's a, and that's what's kind of gratifying about it. At least for me, like why I like the sport. Like I like knowing that I will put it that I. I suck and I have my own challenges, but if I put in the time and I work on those nuances, I'll get better. Like eventually, you know, you know, yeah. 400 pounds becomes less heavy, you know, that's cool. Like I like exactly. that metric, um, you know, and then, but that is part of it. It's like if, and it kind of goes back to kind of the dichotomy of, of, of things. It's like the less special you think you are, and just willing, and you just go and you put in good work and you stay consistent, then yeah, you'll be able to slowly maybe get more, you know, customized. Like if you put in the time for a good coach, then that coach will award you because he'll get to know you more and they'll know how you work to be that they start, you know, figuring you out more. So you will probably get something yeah. more customized, like as in the later yeah, blocks. For sure. Yeah, I mean, and even in, even in that concept, right? Like, if you're if you're an athlete, I think you should start trying to become your own coach. In in essence, of like figuring things out on your own, so that you can fully customize your program with the help of your coach that you're working with, right? Like, if I'm working with an athlete and they understand their body because they've done their own stuff for a while, that feedback that I'm going to get is going to be extremely crucial into making their program better and better week to week. But if you work with someone who's never kind of worked with themselves and they don't know how to give you proper feedback because they don't know what works and what doesn't work, then then you're just kind of guessing, right? And then that's not good either. So I think as an athlete, you have to do from a coach's perspective of like, all right, like, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I doing it? Does this make me better? And then you'd be able to start building this feedback system that you give to a coach when you work with them that's going to help build your program. And even with that, like, you have a, a certain sense of, freedom too right like if, if I know you're a really good lifter and you know exactly what your body what, what works best you're gonna have some freedom so I call some audibles on, on some of the exercises that I give you right like if you're doing the organic split squats and it's kind of bothering your knee but you know reverse lunges kind of do the same thing but it doesn't bother me and substitute it right but if you don't know that and you just stick to organic split squats and you start having knee problems 
that's that's on you. That's not on your coach, right? Because if it's bothering you and it's hurting you as an athlete, you got to know, like, oh, it's on my paper, so I must do it. Like, no, if it's, if it's hurting you, don't do it. Give that feedback to your coach and find a substitute that, that doesn't hurt it, right? Like, you know, you're doing a knee bend, leg extension movement, so you're working your quads. Well, find a different exercise that works your quads that doesn't hurt your knee. And I think a lot of athletes, they fall victim to this is my this is my sheet, this is my program, I'm going to follow to the key. Oh, my shoulder hurts when I bench, but I'm going to keep benching because it's on my program. And then like five weeks down the road, you're like, oh, I can't bench anymore, my shoulder hurts. Like, well, when did this start happening? As soon as I started doing the program, why didn't you tell me? I just thought it was part of the program. Like, what? No, being in pain is like I think most people don't know the difference. Being in pain, like sharp injury pain, and then uncomfortable, like sore pain. Those are different. Oh yeah, yeah, so much. And 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 I've dealt with that too. People that have never dealt with before. I thought my back hurts, so I'm dealt with. Yeah, it's because you're using your back to get hurt. It's supposed to be sore. You're not, you're not breaking your back. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like there is a bit that has to be used. Like there is a balance, and I'm, I think yeah. there a crucial point that you had, you know, mentioned that someone should take control of their own training. I, I'm, a, I've always been a big advocate for if you start lifting, like it's great to have someone like hands on to teach you form, um, and like that's yeah. probably what you should use a coach for. If you're a beginner, you should hire a coach to teach you form. And then in terms of a program, like do something simple, like, you know, five, like starting strength or five, three, one, um, like something super linear, super bare bones. And then you yeah. just focus on form. And then like, you know, once, you know, you have done that and you have some freedom and you know how to train, you've learned how to train, you know what your body feels like, you've gone through a program and, you know, you learn technique, that'd be a good time to get a coach because then hopefully you'll be able to get yeah accurately be able to give feedback and talk to that coach um and and be like yeah i've done this before and it didn't hurt um and ask the right questions you know like again to the bulgarian split squat example if you're doing the split squat and your knee starts bothering you yes either go to maybe reverse um you know like a reverse lunges or be like hey coach my uh you know my medial part of my knee the inside part of my knee is kind of hurts when i do that what why why would you think that it it would do that and you know or what do you suggest that i can do to maybe remedy that and then you know get the coach's two cents you know it's like just that kind of communication especially with an online coach like communication is everything and that's a good way to know if you have a good online coach right like you you ask a coach a question and they're like oh just do it because because i said so you're like well you didn't answer my question that's probably not the best coach for you um, because there's been there's been plenty of times where I told an athlete like, "Hey, that's a great question. I don't know the answer because I'm not a rehab specialist, but I I know some people. I can give you their information, and I guarantee if you reach out to them, you know, you can figure you like you guys will be able to figure it out. Like it's okay for a coach to be like, I don't really know this instead of just giving some like stubborn egotistical answer like, oh, it's on the program, just just do it or making something up, right? Just try to make sound smart those are two flaws that a coach is, you know can't have because at the end of the day you're doing it for the athlete not for your own ego not for anything else so if you can't help that athlete out don't make something up and don't give them some bullshit answer like always try to find the right answer which may not be the answer that you can give them and yeah that person may leave you for another coach if that coach has a better answer 
that just drives you to become a better coach. It shouldn't deter you from helping out athletes. It should just drive you to become a better coach and to learn those things so the athlete doesn't have to go to someone else, you know? It is. It's a learning experience, you know. It's a right, and it's okay to say it's okay to say that, and it's okay to, you know, it's okay for you as the athlete to ask questions. It's okay for the coach to say, "I don't know," because again, it'll only make them better, and then outsource it. Because at the end of the day, you want whoever, you know, this person is just to be successful, be healthy, lift healthy, yeah. lift, you know, improve. Like, uh, it kind of just comes down to just. Uh, you know, don't be a shitty person <laughs> on either end. Don't be a shitty coach. Yeah. Don't be a shitty athlete. Don't be a shitty person in general at the gym. Just don't be a shitty person. <laughs> for sure, man. Like, you have to be into it for the right reasons. You know, if you if you're actually care about people and, and care about helping them out and, you know, getting them to, to where they need to be, you have to understand that the, the journey they're on is not just about just giving them a program. They're also hiring you to, to build a relationship with you to guide you, to mentor you, you know, like they're doing all these things and you have to be more than just a coach. You have to be more than just a programmer is what I mean for an online coach, right? Like a programmer, you give someone a program. It can be the prettiest Excel spreadsheet, looks really cool. It like, you know, auto-populates when you put in a number because you have all these cool algorithms in there. But you're a shitty person in communication, well, then you're not a coach. You have to be a coach, right? You have to be a person that can not only connect with someone on a physiological level by explaining to them what their body's going through, how they're they're training book, but on a psychological level, too, get to know that person, get to know where their stress is at, how their sleep is. You know, all those things are extremely important. And as a coach, you have to be willing to give all that stuff in order for you to be successful and actually care about the people that you're working with. If you just see people as a a money sign and you just give them a fucking fancy program, then, yeah, you're, you're a piece of shit. I know a lot of people out there that do that, um, and they'll promote this whole big grandiose scheme of they're doing something awesome, and then you sign up and you pay this extra money, and it's the worst thing you ever got because all you got was this cool Excel spreadsheet. I see that all the time, and it's, it's, it's very disturbing to me that people can come into this profession and, and be that because we're one of the very few professions where we actually have the capabilities of physically injuring someone if we don't pay attention, if we don't care for them, even I'm, I'm, I do nutrition coaching, right? So I, you can create these eating disorders in people if you don't know what you're doing, if all you care about is how they look, or you know, if you want to get them as clean as possible without taking into consideration all these other things, health and all these other complications, then you shouldn't be doing the job that so many people do. And it's very frustrating because how do you filter that out? And that's up to the athlete. But a lot of these athletes, they just hire the people that they, they that look good or that they like. And as an athlete, you got to be smarter than that. And, you know, as frustrating as it is, as a coach that actually cares and, and wants to help people out, that people will leave you for a cheaper coach because, you know, they're, they're stronger or they have a bigger following. To me, it's like, yeah, you're an asshole for doing that as an athlete because you didn't do the due diligence to figure out who's actually a good coach and who's not. Yeah, and who's a good coach for you? Like, when, like, and and what does you know? It's like if that other coaches have a bigger following or they are quote unquote stronger, but that doesn't make them a good coach. It doesn't, and I that it doesn't right. even mean that they care about you. Like exactly. Like is that what you want? Like I would take a coach who cares about me, like me as the person in my my mental health, my my soul, my you know my my emotional health and my physical health, who 
can't walk like like as opposed to a guy who you know has a 2300 total and you know just see like you said i'm just another excel spreadsheet i don't know why it's hard for people to accept because because they want to be a part of like a team they want to be a part you know they want to they want to say that they work with this person because they think that's going to make them cooler on social media you know oh i get to tag I don't want to say names, and that means I'm probably calling out that person, which, you know, it, it is what it is. But, like, they'll be like, oh, you know, I tag my coach, and he's doing my program. They're like, oh, that's cool. That person's doing your program. Did he just break an all-time world record? Yeah, that's my coach. You know, we're, we're, we're good friends. And, like, you never even talk to the guy. He just gives you a spreadsheet all the time. Like, I don't even know your first name. You're just number, you're number 23 on my spreadsheet, and I just give it to you. It's like, you know, people just want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and they do that by, by creating these teams and creating this dynamic and, and being able to tag people instead of just thinking about like, well, what's best for me? You know, and it, it's kind of, it's, it's sad that that's the state that a lot of people get into. Um, but it, I mean, it is what it is, right? Like they'll go through that, they'll realize it's not a great situation and then they'll learn and then as well, hopefully they don't get like fucked up. But they'll learn from it, and then they'll, they'll do a little bit more due diligence, you know. But as a as a coach, I always tell people like, if you truly care and you're passionate about helping people, it's going to take you a lot longer to build success than that person who's doing these like twenty dollar a month programs that you know is just going to be bullshit. But because they're popular, they get a lot of people to to do that. And you know, I always I always tell people like, look at a guy like John Meadows. John Meadows has been doing. Um, nutrition and bodybuilding for I think three decades. He didn't become popular until like five or six years ago, but he still put in two decades of work before that, and he's still around. Whereas you get some of these guys who are doing the shred stuff where they were photoshopped their images. I don't know. I don't. I have no. One, I didn't follow them to begin with, but I have no clue where they're at now. I guarantee you, they're not doing what John Meadows is doing. They're not making an impact on people's lives. And I always tell coaches when they get into this business. Yeah, at first it's going to be really slow. It's going to suck because you're putting in all this work and, you know, you're not getting the recognition and you're not going to have a lot of clients at first. But just just, just stay consistent with it. Don't, don't sell out. Continue to just try to help people and try to be a better human being and be a better coach. And I guarantee you it'll pay off in the long run. Don't, don't quit what you're doing. Don't become frustrated with it because I promise you those people that are doing this splashy sales stuff, they're going to be gone because they don't give a fuck about people, but you do, and you're going to stick around because you care and you're a good coach. And that's how to be a good coach one-on-one with Tony Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, I was, I, I'm really glad we got in this talk. I have like other questions I wanted to ask you, but I just, the conversation was so good. I couldn't stop it. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, oh, okay. Um, I do, I do, I do want to wanted to ask some other things. I'm, I hope someone picked up from that because that was really that was a really great conversation, and I really appreciate your insights on that. And I hope I hope that opens up somebody's eyes and somebody's mind. Um, so the next question I I had for you that I you know because I know you got to work with so many great people, obviously Dan Green and um, and Chris Duffin, which is awesome. I not I haven't had a chance to meet Dan, but I have met Chris and he's really nice. I got yep. to go train at Kabuki when I was in Portland. I had to, um, I want to ask what are some of the, you know, some things that stick out in your mind that you learned from, um, all the people that you've worked with that in the time you work with them, 
really stick out in your head? Like when you think of Chris, you're like, oh, I learned X, Y, and Z from Chris or from Dan. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and just kind of share yeah, share so those. It, yeah, of course. Um, for Dan, you know, he, he, he pretty much laid the foundation of like, this is what it's going to take to be the best in the world. You either can do it or you can't. And if you can't, then you have to be okay with knowing that you're you're doing everything substandardly, right? Like his work ethic was through the roof. He worked so hard and he trained so hard, which is probably why he's, he's occurred so many injuries as he is nowadays. But that's that's one of the biggest things I learned from him was like this is what it takes to be the best in the world, and you got to put in a lot of work to get there, and it's not going to come overnight, but it's going to be hard and it's going to be grueling. And you got to be able to push yourself through that stuff. And his his mentality was something that is unrivaled by so many people. Like I think the, the first meet I I went to with Dan and kind of helped him out and uh, and was there with the team was the LA Fit Expo. And uh, he was squat. He was doing squats and he was doing squats right after Brandon Lilly. Um, and that's when Brandon blew his knee out. And Dan was literally like. I don't know, you can you can't do anything to distract him from what he had to do. Brandon was there on the ground for like fifteen, twenty minutes and they finally uh took him off. And Dan didn't do anything but just got up there, lifted his weight, went back, and you wouldn't even notice. Like so that mentality that he demonstrated day in and day out was something that I picked up of like that's what the best lifters in the world do. They don't get rattled by things. They have they're very resilient. You know, they're not because I see that a lot with a lot of lifters. It's like, oh, I had a lifter at my gym. You know, he he would literally sit there and wait for this one bar and this one platform to be open. And if it wasn't open, he would just sit around for 30, 45 minutes. And then when it finally was, he would do his workout. But guess what? When he went to compete, he didn't have that platform or bar, and he always underperformed because he, he didn't create enough you know resilience in his life to be able to push through that. So that's what I learned. Dan was, you know, the work ethic and the, the resiliency of like overcoming pretty much anything, not letting anything distract you. Um, and then when I was with Jesse Burdick, I did a lot of stuff training with him. I learned a lot about the conjugate system. He was at West Side. I think he was at West Side. Oh, I don't 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 quote that because I might be talking on my ass there. But he did a lot of conjugate stuff. Um, so I got to learn a lot about conjugate training for raw lifters. And then on top of that. Um, Jesse's one of the best human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And he taught me so much more about just being a good person and being a good man than he did about lifting. And that's something that and you can't put a price on that I will always take away and that I always try to give back to people and, and pay for it because he was one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. And he made me a nicer human being just by being around him. So that's something that I'm always thankful for with him. Um, he introduced me to Mark Bell. I got to meet Mark Bell and train with Mark Bell um, a handful of times and develop a relationship with him. And he's another one of those guys that's one of the, the nicest guys you'll ever meet that'll, you know, give you the shirt off his back, even though he may not portray that on, on social media and stuff. But that's that's one of the things I learned from Jess is just how to be a better human being. And I think that's more important than being a better lifter any, any day of the week. Um, and then when I moved to Portland with Chris, Chris was very analytical with, you know, technique and stuff. He was very good. He had a watchful eye. So he gave me not only a better athlete, but technique through bracing, rooting, 
um, all the KMS stuff that he does, but he made me a better coach too because he gave me those eyes to see those things, you know, where Dan, he's a good coach, but he's not as analytical with other people's techniques. He's good with his own technique, um, but he's not as analytical with others. So Chris being super analytical, breaking things down, made me a better coach in that aspect of things and just learning the principles of, of what he teaches with the movement system and the, the importance of bracing and the importance of that type of stuff um, really helped build my ability to stay resilient and not get injured. I've never had a serious injury in the uh, over the decade I've done this stuff, but I've only gotten really strong over the last three years, and that's being out here in Portland. So being able to keep that resiliency and not getting injured, I think has a lot to do with what he taught me as far as the, the principles through the, the KMS stuff. So if you guys are ever around where he's doing a KMS thing over the weekend, it's definitely a highly recommended. It's a great, one of the better seminars, hands-on seminars I've ever seen in my life. So it's, it's really good. And that's kind of the, the three things that I took away from, from those guys. Um, I've had a lot of other you know, coaches and mentors in my life, but as far as powerlifting goes, those those are the three guys I, I learned the most from. And which is quite the roster, you know, like those you know, those three guys are, you know, monsters in the sport. And I really want to go to one of Chris's seminars. Um, I'd love to, you know, I think that he, just from all that I've, you know, in the time that I met him, um, and being there and obviously just knowing the work he puts out, like that's one of those that I, I really want to invest in. Like it's worth every penny and everybody who's ever been in it, been to it. They're like, yeah, best, best, whatever money I had to spend to, to do it. Totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah. They put on a great seminar for sure. Yeah. And plus their gym is so cool. Like it's just a big playground. I love it. I mean, their gym is cool. It's not the best gym in Portland. Uh, I have the best gym in Portland. <laughs> well, of course. Uh, so, of course. I have, strongest, I have the strongest gym in Portland. I'll say that. Um, but there's, yeah. Yeah, they have a great gym. I've trained there for, for a long time, and um, it's fun. Right? They have their gym down there in Clackamas, my gym in Portland, and then Chris Bridgeford owns a gym in Vancouver. So it's like, you know, any anywhere you want to go in the Pacific Northwest to train, you got, you got places. No, that's for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I've been watching Chris kind of put that gym together, and I remember when he first announced it. So it's been really cool to see him build and put that together, and um, it looks like he's really happy with it. It looks great. Uh, I love Portland. Yeah. I love the. I lived in Seattle for a year. Um, I'd move back there in nice. a heartbeat if like if like I had like a you know a you know a, a plan of some sort i i'd move back there in a heartbeat i love it up there so i definitely want to come and train at all the best portland gyms uh yours included soon i love that whenever i go somewhere i look up the best you know if they have powerlifting gyms or I do just, the same thing <laughs> yeah like that's that's my favorite kind of vacation is a gymcation like like okay cool i want to yeah. go here but do they have like a strongman gym or a powerlifting gym like somewhere really cool uh because I know that's like where I meet. Like I don't go to bars and I don't do stuff, but I go to gyms and that's right. how I meet people and find stuff out and and whatnot. So uh, that yeah, that's, that's awesome, yeah, that, that's my goal. I def I want to get up there again, um, and I'll definitely have to see you know go by yours, go by Bridgeford's, um, and plus just again, Portland is an amazing city. Can't complain. Yeah, I love it up here, man. It's great. I've been here for almost four years now. It's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the Pacific Northwest as a whole has a really special place in my heart. So <laughs> I, I love it. 
Um, next part of the question to kind of using that. So out of everything, you know, you've, you know, you got to train with these great guys. Um, and, you know, now you yourself are a very accomplished coach. Everyone I've ever talked to who's worked with you um, or knows you says great things. What are some, you know, some of the things that you, what are the most common things that I guess technique and technique and, you know, in terms of like, in terms of the big three, um, that you see is most common wrong, like wrong when, when you have an athlete come to you. And I know that is a little bit individual, but just, you know, in terms of trends and then also what are, what are some things in the lifts, um, that you, that you feel is something that's very much kind of your signature as a coach that you really work with your athletes on that you like to, you know, share, you know, teach them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the, a couple of the common mistakes that I see with a, a lot of lifters is they don't know how to root and how to brace fundamentally, right? Those are the two most important things when it comes to squat, bench, and deadlift is how to root and how to brace because those are the things that's going to allow you to create stabilization and force production. So I see that done poorly, especially on squats. You know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll chest breathe. So when you watch them squat, you'll see their traps and chest rise, and then it kind of just flattens back out aggressively. You know, instead of just learning to breathe and pull your rib cage down, they expand it, and then they aggressively let it collapse, which creates no type of brutal bracing. It's shallow breathing. It's not diaphragmatic breathing. So that's one of the biggest things. And then the rooting issue I see a lot when people, especially on, on bench press, which is weird. A lot of people don't really think about what, why your feet are important on bench press, but a lot of people, they'll have their knees caving in while they bench, and when their knees cave in, that means their glutes aren't activated as much as you want them to be, and it starts coming up. So then they start having vertical leg drive instead of horizontal leg drive. So their ass comes up, they don't get as much force production, they don't have as much stability. So being able to kind of root with the big toe pinky heel, kind of driving it into the ground and then squeezing it into the ground and twisting it, that's going to create a lot of stability, that's going to create a lot of external um, rotation, which is going to keep your glutes engaged, which is going to help you from not having knee collapse on the deadlift or the squat or the bench press, which is extremely important for you to able for you to be able to continue to produce the amount of force that you want to produce um, during those lifts. So those are the two biggest things that I see constantly that people need to work on because it's not really taught any, anywhere um, efficiently. Yeah, I feel like then, really. It, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to answer your second part, but go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like all, like uh, Duffin's work is really the only comprehensive uh, bracing and rooting like curriculum out there. Yeah, and as much as I don't want to give Chris Duffin credit for for anything, he's he's really done a good job with that stuff. And <laughs> he's uh, he's taken what they've done and and created that for listeners, and I think it's awesome. And I think it's, it's extremely helpful, and it's it's going to prevent a lot of injuries for for a lot of athletes. Um, so. It's definitely really important for people to start to um, realize and, and figure out like proper ways to do it, and uh, I think that'll help out a lot of lifters. Definitely. And now, please go on with the second part. The second part is—I don't really have an answer for. I don't. I'm not one of those. I don't have a specialty. I don't have a. You know, there's never going to be an exercise end after me. I'm not going to create a diet that people have been doing for years and call it something so I can make money off of it. Like, I don't do, I don't do any of that stuff. I, 
I, I coach people to the best of my ability. Um, I guess the only thing that I, I specialize in is not being dogmatic in anything. I don't over-believe in stuff to where I can be swayed one way or the other. Um, I, I, I hope and I think that a lot of my listeners that I've worked with for um, a significant amount of time all have really good techniques. Um, but what is good technique, right? Like, you know, you may have an idea of what ideal technique is, but that person's body type might not fit that. So I would say that that's something that I'm, I, I try to work on. It's not being so idealistic and like what perfect technique is because everyone's built differently. Um, but yeah, I don't have, a, I don't have anything that I'm, I'm special at, man. I just try to be a, a good coach and, and, you know, communicate with my athletes and teach them stuff, uh, that I've learned and try to help them out. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not in it to, uh, get things named after me or to create a bunch of, of money and, and, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know if, if uh, if I misinterpreted that question, um, but I don't, I don't do anything special. I just, I just coach people and, and try to help them out. No, I, I don't think you did at all. Actually, I think that's a great answer. Uh, I would I would say, uh, probably maybe from an outside perspective, in, in getting to talk to you, I'd say that you, uh, you know, you give a shit. You know, you're obviously you've been lifting in both between strama and powerlifting for a long time. And so the fact that you aren't dogmatic in anything allows you to kind of see the bigger picture and you give a shit so you can actually help people. And like you said, if you don't know what what to do for them, it you know, it sounds like you're the kind of person who will find out. So, uh, uh, I, yeah, I think that does a- that answers my question. Like you're, you know, you're an actual coach. You're a good coach who gives I'm a shit. I'm trying to be, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? Like I've had the opportunity to meet Louis Simmons, Dave Tate, Dan Green, like all these great lifters and coaches, and they all have different philosophies. So how could I ever think that I have the right philosophy, right? Like I can't be dogmatic in my approach when there's so many really smart people that have different philosophies, you know? So it's like, well, they're really smart and they've read the same books I've read. You know, why would I not listen to them too? I, I can't ever come go with anything with like a closed mind. Like I know what I'm talking about because the more I learn and the more I talk to people, the more I realize I don't know anything, you know? And the more I know, the less I actually get to, with my athletes so it's like oh, I'll just keep an open mind with everything and that way I can always gear my athletes to in the direction that's best for them and not best for my ego and that's so exciting because to have a coach who is just as much of a student as you are like for me like I, I kind of like what you said earlier like I love learning like that's why I, I made a show it just honestly it was another outlet for me to you know pick people's brains and learn you know when you have someone who's always looking to learn and improve themselves and then they just and then they're, they're a good person and they give a shit as you know what happens when you're when that when that person that you're working with continues to learn and improve that's going to carry over to you. You're going to continue to learn and improve and you have that symbiotic relationship. Um, and that's great. You know, the common saying that if you're, you know, the, the, you know, the smartest person in the room and you find a new room in the same way, if, you know, if you have a coach who thinks he doesn't need to learn anything more and he has all the answers, uh, this is not going to go well. That's not going to go well at all. (laughs) And it just sounds like a, life right like oh i already know everything i don't need to learn anymore well, that, that kind of sucks for you man you know yeah you like talk to anybody you talk to anybody who's you know 
done anything in this industry for 20, 30 years, they're going to tell you that they thought they knew a bunch of stuff and then they realized they didn't know shit. And then they thought they knew a bunch of stuff again and then they realized they didn't know shit. And then they just start with, hey, I don't know anything, so I'm always willing to learn it. And if you don't hear that from a coach, I guarantee you they're not a good coach. No, no, it's exactly that. It's like the best coaches to me and like, you know, that word of a, of a coach is somebody who is still who is a forever student and just wants to pass on like it's like they're also a student they're just a a more experienced one than you and they're just gonna exactly exactly, and they're just gonna give you what you know that that experience you know that and and hopefully and help and help guide you like that's like that that's a coach the difference between a teacher just rattles off details and uh, you know and uh things just you know facts and what things are i feel like a coach should be that kind of mentor someone who is like i'm still learning this is what i did um you know what do you think and how you know let, let's figure out what works for you like that's that's the difference yeah for sure 100 percent, man um so kind of a selfish question here that i definitely want to ask uh what i mean you kind of said that you know you started your show you know, selfishly, but kind of what, what brought that up? What is the history of, you know, the beyond the platform show and how, you know, like how how did that, how did that come to be? Well, I love, I love podcasts. Like I I listen to audible books and podcasts all the time and I get so much great value from it. And I wasn't necessarily like super thrilled with the podcast world within our industry. Um, I don't, I think there's not too many good interviewers that can like put together conversations seamlessly and, and continue to carry them where people like actually want to listen to it. Um, and I thought that maybe I could fill that void. Uh, and then I, it, I also thought to myself, like, what's a great way, you know, I, I hate to say like I look up to people because I, I really don't, but there's a lot of great minds within the sport that I would love to talk to. What's the best? what's going to give me the best opportunity to talk to that person? And it's going to be a podcast, right? That's the best free way to communicate. And it's the easiest way to communicate. You know, if I wanted to do an interview with someone and I sent them a list of questions and they had to write it out, that's going to, that's going to suck, you know, but if you can be like, Hey, can I get hours a day to talk about stuff? Then they're going to be more willing to do it. So it's an opportunity to, for myself to learn, but I think it's also an opportunity to fill a gap within our industry that's not necessarily looked upon. You know, uh, a good interview, a good interviewer that's able to keep things on task to be able to ask questions based on that person, um, who they're talking to, how they answer the questions. Because I hear a lot of podcasts where you can just tell they have these scripted questions and it just, it's very like, cut and paste, cut and paste conversations doesn't flow that great. Whereas as me, I've never sent a, I've never sent a, um, a person on my podcast a set of questions. I'm like, Hey, talk about whatever you want to, man. I'm just going to ask you, tell us your name and to kind of introduce yourself. And from there, I'll just ask you questions and we'll just flow. And I think that's something that's not really in our industry. So there's a gap that needs to be filled. I like to, I like to put stuff on my plate and see if I can accomplish it. I like to do things that challenge me and I had no clue how to do a podcast and I just looked it up and started it and away we went and, 
it's a lot of fun. I enjoy getting to talk to the people and get to meet people, and it, it allows me an opportunity to, you know, if I'm traveling, to reach out to those same people that I would have never got to meet before. Yeah, and that's so cool. Like, it just kind of, like you said, it becomes this other tool, this other, like, key to open other doors. Um, and, and again, for someone who, if you're a love to learn and love just to meet people and pick their brain, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, have you ever been, have you, have you ever been like the interviewee uh, other than mine? I, I was wondering if you have ever been the interviewed. Yeah, I've been on, I've been on, um, table talk with the lead FTS. I've been on a couple bodybuilding, um, podcasts and, uh, I've been on a handful of them for sure. Nice. Nice. I, I'm going to have to look up the table talk one. I always like those. Uh, I'll definitely have to look up that one to listen. Um, what are some of the challenges, you know, that you, since starting the show, and you have, like, I think I looked today, 77 episodes, which is a lot. What are some of the yeah. challenges since you started um, that you faced, and uh, what did you do to, I guess, you know, improve from them? Well, the the immediate challenge, like, right off the bat was, like, who, who do I want to interview? Not, like, who should I interview? So a lot of people will be like, oh, you should interview this person. I'm like, well, that person, yeah, they're strong, they have a lot of followers, but they don't seem very interested to me. And the worst thing I can do, like, I've had a couple guests on where it's like, I start the interview, and immediately I'm like, this is so boring. Why am I interviewing this person? And it can, it's, it's just not a good interview at all, where it's like, I just want to interview people that are interesting to me, that I enjoy talking to. So trying to figure out those people have been a challenge because you don't really know if they're interested until you actually like start to talk to them on the phone or through Skype or whatever it is. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges for me was trying to find people that had more to talk about other than I lift weights, I do sets and reps, and, you know, it's like, well, that. Yeah, everyone does that. That's boring. What else can we talk about? Like, you know, if they don't have if they don't have um, a life outside of listen, then it's really tough to to get a good flowing interview with them because it's very just like one dimensional. And I don't like to be one dimensional. I don't like talking to people that are one dimensional. Um, so trying to find listeners that aren't one dimensional is challenging to say the least. Um, but so far, I've, I've done a good job. So that's one of the biggest challenges. Another one is just kind of like time, right? Like, how do you find the time with, I own, I have three businesses, I'm a full-time student, so trying to find the time where I can interview people that fits their time is is one of the toughest challenges, and and that's one of the reasons why I don't do them as often as I used to. Like, I do my, the coach's corner with Trevor, because he's super flexible. I can be like, hey, man, you want to do this podcast in like 30 minutes? Like, yeah, I'm good. And that's like that's the only time I have to tell them that. Whereas like everyone else, kind of like coordinate time, and it's it's just that's the hardest thing right now is finding the time to do with so much going on in my life. Um, and that's one of the biggest challenges because I really enjoy doing them. I want to keep them going. I don't. I won't ever do an advertisement. I won't ever do a sponsor. I don't do any of that stuff for the podcast because I don't really care. I'm not trying to make money off of it. I'm not trying to do anything other than get a chance to talk to really cool people for an hour and then let everyone else listen to it if they want to. That's that's what I want to do with the podcast. 
Hey man, uh, it's it's been great for me. So I mean, I know other people, you know, love to listen to it. I love the coach's corner with Trevor. Uh, you guys together is always really fun, and I, I've learned a lot from you know all the talks uh, you've had with him and then any of the other lifters. So um, and like I've been I've been lifting for you know a few years, but only serious and found powerlifting a little over a year ago. And uh, you know, one of those things that helped me going was your show. So I feel like you've that's so cool. Yeah, I feel like you've been successful in that and and again that's you know one of the sparks even me having a show and yeah, so you're partially responsible so anything that comes out of it uh <laughs> it's, it's, nice. it's probably on you. I'll get some type of royalties if you to make it famous or something. Hey man, uh if, if that's the case then <laughs> then <laughs> I, I have no problem I'll have no problem doing that. <laughs> if I if I ever if I ever do that I'd be like here <laughs> here's stuff for the gym and I'd like to come whenever I want. Also. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, that's the one thing I love about my gym is uh anybody that ever pumps out of town it's a free gym for them. They don't ever have to pay. They just come and, and enjoy it. And that's what I learned from Jesse Burdick. Another thing him was like, you know, if you're trying to make money off of drop-ins, you're never going to be successful in the business world. You know, people that drop in from out of town, treat them like royalty, take care of them, don't charge them anything. And that's all you can do. Just give them a good time. And, and that's what we do at, at our gym. And that's why I love having my own gym. Yeah, I... You know, and then this the camaraderie and the people like it, it's it's cool. Like I I love the culture of when you get to meet people like that. It really is. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That, that's how I've met most of like the actual friends that I have. Uh, it's through there. So I'm always thankful for those kind of environments. Um, when it comes to like interviewing, like for me, um, I get I have a bit of an ADHD. And uh, my criticism over my past shows has been uh, that I can talk too much or I get excited and I talk over people. Uh, what is something that you did, you know, maybe it was just natural for you to kind of help become a better interviewer? Yeah, I'm, I'm very introverted uh, at heart. So I'm a very good listener. Um, and I just try to really enhance that ability of, of being a good listener, of being able to fully engulf myself in a conversation with someone, thinking that that person has something worth talking about and that I need to listen or else I'll miss out on it. It's something that I've, I've tried to really, really hone in on is just becoming such a good listener. Because a lot of people you can tell, right? Like when you're doing an interview, you'll be talking to a person and then all immediately you can tell that person that you're talking to is just thinking of the answer that they want to give rather than listening to you talk. So whenever it's their turn to talk, it's completely off topic and it like slows down the conversation. So being able to really listen to the person, that way I can extrapolate where my next question is going to go. And that way it's like concise. There's, there's only a smooth transition if that person's a good interview interviewee. So being able to listen to people and being able to, you know, take what they're saying and be able to turn that into questions that make it a very free-flowing interview, I think it's something that I'm decent at and I'm, I'm always working at getting better at. Um, and I think that anybody that's a good interviewer is a great listener and I think that's extremely important to do. Yes. That's that's what I was told. It actually was was uh, was Trevor. He messaged me and he was like, "You know, man, 
you know, you should uh, you should learn to become a, a better listener, and you'll have a you know it'll help your show. You you talk a bit. Trevor's a jerk. You shouldn't listen to anything Trevor says. He's a jerk. He just likes to listen to himself talk. Any criticism he gave you was just him to his own horn. But yeah, I mean, he's right. Like you, you got to listen to people. If not, then it's like, well, why are we having this conversation? You know. Most definitely, and and I know like when he said it, like uh, like. He, you know, he was trying to, you know, he, I was glad. I was like, I'm glad you said something no one else has. Um, because, like, I love listening. That's why, obviously, I want to talk to people and do the show. Uh, I just know that I get excited. Especially if I'm enjoying the person, uh, I get carried away. And so I have to be cognizant of, okay, when to shut up. Like, when like when to listen harder um, and doing all of that. And, and and you're right. I, I think you you are really good at that with your show. Like it always flows the best, um, you know. And you know, and like you said, you you can tell like you don't um, have to. Well, you make it seem like you don't have to try very hard to 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 come up with those questions. It seem it is very natural. And in whether you do or you don't, it doesn't seem like that to the listener. So I, I strive to get to that level. I want I want to. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, that just comes down to to listen in to that person as if they have something like uh, they have something extremely important to say, you know. And I got that from um, from Jordan Peterson. If you ever read his uh, Twelve Rules for Life, one of the rules is, uh, you know, everyone you come into contact with, treat them as if they have something valuable to tell you. And it's really just basically coming down to being able to be a good listener to value the people that you're, that you're listening to and to be able to extrapolate something positive from every experience that you have in your life. And I think that that's extremely important to do, you know, because when you have, you know, negative things in your life, to be able to take away the good from that too is important. And I think that all comes down to being a good listener, being able to value people's time and people's opinions on stuff and, and not being so closed-minded that you think you have the answer. Because I've seen that a lot in seminars I've gone to where people come to these seminars just to tell the person who's doing the seminar what they think and hoping that that person agrees with them. And if they don't, they'll ask the question just a bunch of different ways. And that person never agrees with them. And they're like, God, why are you here asking these questions? You just want somebody to tell you that you're right when you're trying to argue with the person that you paid money to listen to. It's just, I don't know, it just blows my mind how how people don't understand, like, how important being able to listen to other people is. And then being able to have that conversation with that person based off of what they're saying, you know? Exactly. And in... in, in Everyone likes to be listened to, and and I and I I know I do, and it just comes, you know. And that's why I was really thankful that Trevor said something like that was really. I thought it was really kind of him, because really I think, you know, like he he knew I just had to be aware. Like once I was aware of it, because yeah. obviously I I love the people that I'm talking to. It's why I invite them on, and I, I want to listen to them. And I'm just I'm just a socially awkward person, and I and I need that awareness. And uh, so I went into this, like, I was like, all right, you know, that was actually just yesterday. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to be talking to Tony today and I'm going to make sure that I you know, am cognizant of my, of my speech and uh, <laughs> the whole, the whole time. And, and that's how, that's what we do. We do that to get better. And so anyone, anytime someone challenges us, um, 
it'll just it'll make you better and and yeah it's like what you said if someone goes to a seminar to talk to someone or if you're you're speaking to someone who's so who you want to talk to and then you just want to either not listen or or just challenge them like you're missing out on again a time to learn yeah i mean and that's really cool that, that you can take that away from someone because so many people uh especially now being a, a business owner and having people that like work work with you you gotta find so many different ways to like be able to to talk to that person and, and criticize and and try to build a relationship and, and help out to make sure that the business is flowing good without like hurting people's feelings because everyone thinks that like if you tell them something you're attacking them whereas like you could have said that from Sarah like oh what's this this asshole gonna tell me how to do my podcast like I don't need to listen to him but you did Right? And that says a lot about you, that you're willing to take that criticism and openly accept it and know where your limitations are and then try to make them better. And that's going to go a long way within your powerlifting career, within life in general, right? Being able to see where your limitations are and then realize that is going to allow you to overcome them and be better at it to where you can erase that as a limitation down the road. And I think that's awesome that you do that, man. It says a lot about your character. Thanks, man. I, you know, I really try because I mean, we all want to be better. Like I, I, I'll, I'll let anybody tear apart my lifts, even if I think they're crazy. I'll listen to what I have, to, what they have to say, because maybe they, you know, they have. Because I want at the end of the day, I want to be better. I want a good show. I want to be, you know, uh, I eventually want to be a good coach too. And I, you know, I think people get defensive with criticism because they automatically connect that to that they're unliked. Like, I mean, like I met when, when Trevor, you know, told me that, of course, like I felt bad because I was like, man, am I coming across like an asshole or like a guy who likes, you know, like to other people, um, you know, or is he tell, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, people, they take it either. It's either to their ego or it's to their, their, um, public perception. And like, for me, it's never, it's never my ego because I think I suck at most things. Like I'm not naturally good at anything, but, I'm, but I, I, I do, I do, I, you know, I care about, uh, you know, I care about anything that I do try to do and the people who help me. And so of course I never want someone to think that, uh, that I don't care or I don't value their time or, or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, so I think people take the criticism hard if, you know, because they related to their, you know, their, their self value and, or, or their ego, like you said. And, uh, you know, it's either I, I really try to opt that, okay, uh, you know, Trevor took – someone took the time, whether Trevor or anyone else, to tell me something. Maybe it sucked. Maybe it hurt my feelings or I felt bad. But, okay, what can I do going forward? And same thing with lifting. It's like, all right, my you know, my form sucks. What can I do to fix it? Um, take ownership. I think just like what you said at the beginning of the show, take ownership. Yeah, no, definitely, man. That's what – that's what that's what's instilled in you through the military, right? It's like you can't blame others for for everything. You got to be able to take ownership of, of your own actions, and I think being able to have that open mind to to accept those criticisms is important because it it lets you know that you're confident enough in who you are to be able to know that what you're like that you have imperfections, that you have these limitations, and that you found someone who cares about you enough. To go out of his way. I mean, he could have. He could have never said anything, and he could have let you keep 
insulting other people and not even thinking twice about it. But the fact that he went out of his way to do that, that would tell me, like, okay, that's somebody that I probably want to keep around in my life. Even though he gave me harsh criticism, he only did that to make me better. Whereas most people, you get people, they, they always want yes men in their life that tell them, oh, you're doing such a good job. Oh, you're doing great. Everything you do is perfect. With me, I'd rather surround myself with people that are like, that call me out on my bullshit or that are always trying to help me out, even if it is, you know, criticizing me or, or telling me I need to do better. I mean, you know, anything like that. Those are the people that mean more to me in my life because they want the best for me, not just telling me how awesome I am all the time, you know? And that's, that's important to have. Yeah, it really is. And, and then you're right. Trevor had no reason to say it had no, you know, it doesn't help him at all, but you know, for whatever reason, he, you know, he he didn't want me to keep doing that, and you know, knew that I could do better. And so, uh, yeah, I, I really I appreciated it out of him. And so, and I know you guys talk a lot, so I think it was kind of ironic that I talked to you today after I got crit- you know criticism from him yesterday. Uh, so the poetic irony of it all is funny. So yeah, um, that really is. That's how, how much me and Trevor talk. We're like linked up our menstrual cycle and linked up to where he knows if I'm talking to someone, he can talk to that person before me. That's how, that's how well together we are. <laughs> well, obviously it worked. So, um, 100%. Uh, all right, man. So the very last question that I wanted to ask, you know, I know I've taken up a lot of your time this evening, which I appreciate, um, is, uh, yeah, no problem. when, when, uh, when, or if you plan on, you know, doing any competitions, whether it be bodybuilding again or strongman or, you know, or nearly anything, uh, just kind of what do you have going coming up in your life? Yeah. So, uh, record breakers is in like 11 weeks. So that's my next beat. Um, and then 12 weeks after that is the hybrid, Throwdown uh, in Miami, Florida. Uh, that's February 1st and 2nd. So those are the next two dates um, that I have coming up. And then after that, I don't I don't know if I'll have time to. I'll be really focused in on grad school. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to still compete a lot. Um, but school is, school is the most important thing for me right now. Um, so that's going to always be the the pursuit. And then if I get to lift and still compete on a high level, I'll do it, but I'll always lift, but as far as beats go, those are the two meets that, uh, that I have coming up. It'll be fun because um, Richard's a good friend of mine, and he has a lot of his athletes doing uh, record breakers, and we did it last year together, so it'll be his guys, me and my wife, and we'll all kind of get together and train on like Saturdays and Sundays, do our heavy squats together, and, uh, and that's always a fun time, getting ready for those meets, and then the Florida meet's going to be good because Trevor's going to be there and, and all my friends on the East Coast will be down there. So it'll be a, a fun competition, um, which is, is always nice because most of them are on the West Coast and it's nice to see the East Coast getting some love. Oh, hell yeah. I feel like it's really starting to come up and I know that there's some good meets coming up in Texas and Chicago and now Florida, of course. So uh, it's cool. The sport is growing. And um, I hope, actually, I'm, I'm really hoping to go to Record Breakers to watch um and I, I I've become uh pretty good friends with uh Ranson who trains with Bridgeshard and I really want to see him oh, lift and uh, you know because I, I interviewed him also and we you know we still talk and um and, and he's become a, a buddy and so and it's only a few hours north of me well it's like five hours five hours north of me but 
it's it looks like it's going to be such a cool meet with so many cool people that uh, I don't want to miss it if I can help it. So I'm hoping yeah, I can Burdick, do that. Burdick puts on the best meets, man, and that's not only because he's he's a really good friend of mine um, that I I love doing his meets, but his meets are literally the best lifter friendly meets that you'll ever go to. It's the most laid back environment. He takes care of the lifters. The lifters eat. And, uh, and it's the most fun you'll ever have out of me. And that's why I'll try to do it every year that I can. Um, not only to support him, but just because I know that it's going to be a good time and that it's, it's a meet that's going to be set up for you to have the best be possible. Cause I hate when that happens. Like the U S open last year, um, was such a shit show. And you train so hard to get ready for it. Not this one that just passed, the one two years ago, I guess. The last one I did. Um, the platform was like shit. They used prototype bars that no one's tested. Um, the stage was shaky. And it was like, man, you train 15, 20 weeks for this beat. And you just want it to be ran smoothly. And, and it, when it's not, it's just such a disappointment. So I know that Verdict puts on great beats. And I know that I'll always have the best opportunity to have the best total possible by doing his meets. And they're just so much fun, man. So why not, right? And, and that's what I look for whenever I'm picking meets. Is like, not what, you know, not what is the most convenient or what's going to have the necessarily the best competition. I always try to find good competition. But if I know that meet director sucks, I'm not doing that meet. There's no way in hell that I'm going to train really hard to go to a beat that's run poorly and not be able to showcase my efforts. And, and I think that that's a shame that I'll, some of these beats directors do that, you know? Yeah, it really is. Cause I mean, then it's just, it's ruining the experience, you know, for the lifter who is what it's, what's what the meets there for is for them to, you know, like you said, come and showcase your efforts, but also for the sport. Cause if you want the sport to grow, people need to come watch. People need to be able to come and be exposed to it. And if it's not a well run meet, then those people aren't going to have a good experience. And yeah, exactly. So, well, I really, you know, I really look forward to that, to seeing, you know, what you do. I really hope I can do, you know, be there in person. I uh, would love to, you know, meet all you guys in person and, you know, to watch the whole thing. And, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Even if I don't, I'm going to look forward to seeing what you do on the platform again. I always like watching you lift. So, it'll be cool. I appreciate cool. that, man. Thank you so much. Of course, man. Anytime. And, you know, thank you again for coming to the show, um, for your time. I know it's almost two hours. Um, it's been great. I've loved picking your brain. Um, you know, I know you're going to get busier and busier, uh, which is even more impressive. Uh, but I hope you keep up with the show too, because I always look forward to it. I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. I love uh, I love a good conversation over anything. So it's been fun. Awesome, man. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do it again. And and I really look forward to shaking your hand. Hopefully at Record Breakers. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll have it. Great, All right, man. Well, I'll let you go, and appreciate you. Thank you again. Yeah, have a great day. All right, man. Bye-bye. All right, sports fans. The man of Beyond the Platform, Tony Montgomery Jr. Uh, yeah, what a great conversation. The guy, the guy is, has been in the sport for so long, and he's met He's literally met all, probably some of all the best people in our sport and has so much experience to share. So thank you again for coming on, Tony. I hope you guys learned something. I know I did. Uh, I needed a good conversation like this. 
and there's going to be a lot that I'm going to be chewing on and thinking about. So I hope you guys can take away from it. And thank you again for listening. And uh, thank you again for listening as I you know, improve the show, uh, work on things, and just try to keep delivering something that that I love and you love as well. And that's what it has to, has to be about. We all have to love it. And I really do. I love putting this out for you guys. So thanks for sticking around. Uh, hopefully season three just keeps it rolling. And, you know, definitely have some more coming up for you guys. So thank you again. I want to shout out to our sponsors, Viking Performance Talk. Thank you guys. You guys are the best. So be on the lookout. We got some surprises coming from them in collaboration with the show that I'm very excited about. Calibre Illustrations, the Johnny Horse Show. Thank you guys. You're the best. And as always, to you guys, the listeners, I appreciate you. And you guys make it worth doing. So, as always, I'm Nicholas. This is the Nerds Who Live podcast. Thank you.